Thank you for listening to the Calvary Chapel Lubbock podcast. Our mission of teaching people to love God by showing them how much He loves us starts right now. Well, welcome to one of the most mysterious and controversial, not to mention neglected books in the Bible. You see, the book of Revelation, guys, is filled with mystery, both attracting and actually repelling many people. See, many people incorrectly think that it's a book that's sealed and that it shouldn't be studied. There's a lot of people who are so scared of the book of Revelation. Oh, no, I don't even want to know what that is. And they, they won't even touch it, guys. But the reason why is because it's so symbolic and it's so prophetic that they, they actually fear it. Others look at the book of Revelation and they find it so incredible despite the Bible's record of accuracy. No, 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 that can't happen. That can't happen. Now think about this. Let's go post-2020. Think about in the book of Revelation, you're thinking, no, that can't happen. And yet here we are in a world that's happened, whatever it might be. And so again, this is what they're talking about. Now, if you're taking note, here's what I want you to put at the beginning. This is a great book, but the central theme of this book is none other than Jesus Christ. It's not the book of Revelations. There's not a bunch of Revelations. It's the revelation of who? Jesus. That's what he's talking about right here. The book of Rev- the, 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 the revelation of Jesus Christ, the one who died for our sins, who was resurrected and is coming back. Can I get an amen? Now, why do I say that? I say that, guys, because I'm just so fired up. I'm so pumped because I believe any day the Lord could come back. Any second. We call it the imminent return of Jesus Christ. That means we're busy. Woo! We're doing our thing. And man, boom. We can see the Lord coming back. He's coming back. I'm ready to go home. I'm ready to go home. So, so we know he's coming. But listen, guys, think about it. No longer is he going to come as a baby in a manger, but he's going to come to be exalted and to rule and to reign over the earth. That's how he's coming back. So what we want to look at tonight is just the beginning. Okay? It's simply the introduction to this book. Because Calvary Chapel is a teaching ministry, I have to, have to, have to give you the foundation in which to stand upon. I have to. You have to know where it's going and where it's coming. We can't just jump into it because then again, it's, it's just a lot of information. So I go, okay, let's step back, okay? Let's give you what? Let's give you the introduction of the book, okay? Now, if you're taking notes, what we're going to look at, guys, is four different schools of thought on interpretation, okay? Four different ones. Some of them come and they go, well, and so this is to help you kind of glow through what people are thinking when it comes to the book of Revelation. Four schools of thought on interpretation. We're going to talk a little bit about why so much symbolism is used, okay? 
Why is it symbolism? And then we are simply going to interpret what the Bible has to say about this book found in Matthew's Gospel and the book of Daniel. Now, when I announced, hey, guys, guess what? We're going to study the book of Revelation. So many people said, yes, awesome. Others said, man, dude, I'm totally stoked. I want to do that. Yet, I believe others wondered, why do you want to study this book? Why do you want to study this book? But listen, no matter what camp you're in, God wants us to study this book. As a matter of fact, and this is what it, this is dear to our heart, okay? The Bible actually says this. Do you realize that this is the only book with a promise? A promise to those who read, hear, and obey. It's the only book. So, are y'all ready to get blessed? Because this is what we're going to go through. The book of Revelation. If you're taking note, please understand it's a book of prophecy. Prophecy. And you go, Ben, I've heard that, but please explain this to me for just a moment. Now, remember, prophecy is a two-folded interpretation. Two-fold interpretation. How so? Number one, prophecy is telling forth God's word. Telling forth God's word. Okay? In a very general sense, your pastor is prophetic in the fact that he teaches and exhorts the word of God. I am telling forth God's word. You guys with me? But the second part of that is known as foretelling God's word, which is literal futuristic. I am telling futuristic events. Now, let me stop you right there, because when COVID hit, when all of this went down, when we were getting close to the elections, there were a lot of people who jumped on YouTube and began prophetically talking about future events. Well, God showed me this was going to happen, this, the world was going to be, I saw this and this, and it scared us. Now, hopefully you don't watch those YouTube videos, but I mean, they're so popular, now, that would be a prophet, what, foretelling God's word. I'm going to tell forth God's word. I'm going to teach you the Bible. But there is a prophet that, what, that tells us literally futuristic events. Now, I love what, what I forget which pastor said it. I love, I, I can't remember who it was. I wish, I'm, I'm racking my brain trying to think. But when it comes to these YouTube prophetic videos, the Lord is not going to tell us anything more than he told us in this book. And in Matthew 24, he said there were going to be lawlessness. We see it. We see it in the world, don't we? We see that there was going to be uh, racism. That, that what? Nation would rise against nation. That would be what he's talking about. So we see it in the word of God. So we all we know this is going to happen. We see it. So be careful. Be careful. Prophecy. Prophetically, guys, one-fourth of the Bible is prophecy. When God makes a prediction or a prophecy, it's because he knows the end from the beginning, and God's predictions are definite. Right? Look with me at Revelation chapter 1, verse 1. It might be on the screen. I'm not sure if he got it. It says this, the revelation of who, guys? 
Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants the things which must shortly take place. And he sent and signified it by his angel to his servant, John. Now, in your Bibles, guys, I want to show you something very interesting, okay? If you're not afraid to write in your Bible or highlight your phone or however that works, I want you to circle the word signified. See right there? He sent and signified. Circle that word. And you can write next to it. Here's what it means. It means to reveal through signs. To reveal through signs. So what's he saying? He is going to, in this book, reveal who? Jesus. How? He's going to reveal, well, before we say how, he's going to reveal Jesus Christ to his servants through signs. Not only to the angels or by the angels, but by John. Okay? So put your thinking caps on, guys. As we go through, he's going to reveal Jesus through signs about Jesus. Through, by John and the angels. Okay? So, is prophecy important? Well, they're still remaining on prophecy. Okay? Now, this intro is going to set the stage for the whole book, but because Revelation is prophetic, because it is futuristic telling, we have to ask ourselves, is this important? Is prophecy important? Well, Revelation is a book about prophecy, but prophetic about what? Well, let me just break this down for you, okay? In Revelation, it's prophetic because in chapters 1 through 3... Okay, it deals with the church. We're going to see the church age, chapters 1 through 3. We're going to talk about the church and the church age. It's very prophetic. Here's When we go through the churches, here's what's really super cool, okay? Not only do we see this actually played out in history, and we also know that they were literal churches, that seems like there's so much of what was going on in the church happening in our lives. And so you're going, oh, oh. Because Revelation is prophetic, it deals mostly with Israel and how God deals with them starting in chapter 4 and 9, all the way through 19. Now, let me say that again, okay? I want you to jot this down. Guys, chapter 4 to 19, God is going to deal with who? Help me. Say it louder. Israel, right. And so, again, why not us? Because, remember, we're going to hear that trumpet sound. We're going to be gone. The church is going to be gone. So he's dealing with Israel. So that's how we end up. Now, remember, prophecy is important. But why? Because the Word of God tells us it is. Jot this down, guys. 1 John chapter 3 Verses 2 and 3, let's look at it right here on the screen. It says, Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope in him, what's that word, guys? Purifies himself just as he is pure. You guys understand what he's saying right here, okay? 
So what does prophecy do? Why is it important to study the book of Revelation? Because here's what I wanted to do. Prophecy purifies our lives. Prophecy. Guys, as you and I seek to understand him, and as he is revealed, this brings purity. And since we're living in the last days, in the last hours, in the last minutes, it is so important that our lives are pure before him. Pastor Ben, are you saying I'm not saved? I'm not saying that. I'm saying that we need to walk closer with him. I don't want to be sidetracked. I don't want to get off base. I don't want to run in Alex's lane. I want to run in my lane. I want to, and, and this is what it does, guys. It goes, oh, oh, oh. Why? Well, number two, Joe, you, you, you with me here? Prophecy, not only does it purify our lives, like the word of God says, but it's important because it validates the word of God. It validates the word of God. God's word is true, and God's prophecy or predictions are true, and, and, and they validate who he is. There you go, Ben, why is that important? Well, guys, let's look at our lives for just a moment. This is what I'm asking you to believe. The word of God, all of it. Genesis to Revelation, every word was God-breathed. Well, Ben, I have a hard time with this. Guys, if you are reading the Bible through the year, you're having a hard time. Because some of the stuff in Jeremiah, some of the stuff in Ezekiel, some of the stuff you're like, wow. But when he prophesies the stuff, guys, it, it validates who God is. It's, you can trust the word of God. You can trust his word. His word is true. But for those who seem to struggle with his word being true, it validates him and his word in our heart. That's, that's what Christianity is about. Eva, that's what Christianity, this is, because what happens is you go, his word is true. I believe it. Everything, there's no way this can be made up. There's, and so now you begin to believe it and walk in it and obey it. And it validates that, right? So, what are we, what are we doing? Well, I entitled this message, guys, or the series, you guys know the series, People Get Ready. Okay? People Get Ready. Here's my heart. I want you to be ready. Why? Because because what we're going to discover in the book of Revelation, guys, is the fact that God's warning, his admonition is about what is about to happen on this planet of ours. And it's never been more interesting because of where we're living right now. It's never been more crazy. Now, we could choose to ignore it, but it won't change the fact that it's about to happen. Oh, I'm not going to read Revelation. I, just, I don't know. Anyone who chooses to ignore the risks or the, the warnings sounded within this book, man, does so at great personal risk. So here's my thought. Okay? So we're going to spend the next 42 to 52 weeks in this book. Okay? And my hope, here's my hope, guys, is that you will attend and you will invite someone to this study. And you go, why? Because here's my heart. I would say, guys, I would, I would do that we could use our Wednesday night study as, as a huge evangelical outreach. 
Hey, why go to another church? Hey, it's not about you. We want you to come. We want you to invite. Hey, listen, have, have you ever heard about... Bring your friends. Have them sit. Have them listen so they could be saved. That's what I'm hoping. That's what I'm hoping. Many people, guys, are interested in end times prophecy. That's what you got to tell them. Or we can say it, the end of the world. Hey, Alex, have you ever thought about the end of the world? I don't know, bro. What are you? And you could get them, right? That's what we want to do. So let's use this opportunity to engage our community and study this amazing book. That's what we want to look at, okay? So interpretation, the book of Revelation. How do we interpret? Well, as we exegetically go through the book, we will discover many signs and symbols. Many revelations will come forth from this book, but many give away to, many give way to several interpretation. And therefore, what happens is people take a different sort of look to it. Okay. Now, I want to go briefly, very quickly through this, but I, I do want to give you, I want to give you each school of thought so you have an idea where people come from. Because if, if Brother Joe uh, invites his neighbors to Revelation or Beverly invites family or whatever it might be, they might come from this. And I want to give you this school of thought, okay? Because not everybody's going to go, yeah, Revelation, let's go. I want to learn all about it. Let me give you the first school of thought, okay? The first school of thought is what we call the non-literal allegorical approach. The non-literal allegorical approach, Okay? This point of view consists of it being a big allegory going far beyond natural symbolism, which is found in this book. Their approach to this book is a non-literal sense that claimed that their view was the true spiritual interpretation. You go, Ben, what did you just say? In other words, it's only a form of spiritual encouragement. It's all spiritual. It's not going to happen. It's not literal. Hey, Mike says, hey, you want to come to, want to come to my church and hear, oh, it's just spiritual. That would be that approach. The second approach, guys, is what we call the preterist approach. The preterist approach. Similar to the allegorical approach, this view is one in which revelation, really, hear, hear me out, already happened. They're going, oh, it already happened. There's not, there's not going to be no bees. There'll be no rapture and we're all just going to die. And you'll, you, you'll see, guys, there have been some really great men of God that have left Christianity into the preterist approach. It breaks our heart. The preterist approach. It simply, they say, is a record that conflicts with the early church and Judaism and paganism with the closing chapters of chapter 20 to 22, painting a picture of the contemporary triumph of the church. That's where we are today. Newsflash. The church is not a powerful entity today, is it? And, and, and because the church won't stand up and say, no, we're, we're, we're basically a sleeping we're just, we're just asleep as the will. So I, I don't think revelation has happened. You go, okay, well, what, what's the next one? Well, the next one, guys, that people come and say, they'll, they'll look at it as a historical approach, okay? The historical approach adheres to the theory considering revelation as symbolic presentation of the total church history 
culminating at the second advent. It was so symbolic history that much like our history lessons in school, basically all it is is his, this is what we should learn from. You guys remember doing history in school? You had to do history? Yeah, it's kind of like that. They're looking at going, oh, okay, but it's not gonna, it's not really gonna happen. This is just something we should learn from. It's a historical approach. Now, I get it, church. I get it. Because there's some things that are going to happen in here that will blow your mind. Things that you would go, no, that could never happen. The food supply is going to be gone after the rapture and God begins to pour out his judgment on the earth. The food supply is going to be gone And do you realize that Lubbock, Texas has probably enough food for only 20% of us right now in the stores? 20%. Let's say Lubbock County is 300,000 people, 20%, and the shelves would be empty. Guys, listen. Two, three years ago, that'd be like, nah, dude, that's not going to happen. We got enough food. We got trucks coming all up and down that highway. I mean, seriously. But how many of you in April were looking for food and hand sanitizer and toilet paper? And, and it wasn't there. It, it blows our mind. Why? Because people were hoarding it. That's why people go, no, 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 it's something history we should just, we're not, we're not going to. Now, let me give you the fourth one, okay? Let me give you the fourth one. It's called the literal futuristic approach. The literal futuristic approach. It's the approach where we land. This is where we come from at our church. Revelation is both literal and futuristic. You go, how so? Let me give you verse 19 of chapter 1. 119 says this, Write these things which you have seen, the things which you are, and the things which take will take place after this. Everybody see that? Highlight verse 19. And you go, why? Why should I do this? Well, this is our, in, our approach to interpreting this book. It's literal. How so? Because we've seen and things which are. Right there. This is literal. He says, write these down. But it's also futuristic because things that will take place after this. Okay? So, he says, right, this this is going to go down and then take place. Chapters 1 through 3 deal with the church. These are things that he's seen. These are things that happened. This is what's going on. And then he says, now write these things that will happen after this. After what? Guys, we're going to be raptured. We're going to be out of here. It's going to be glorious. And then all hell is going to break loose on earth. And that's what he says. Write these things down. Write these things down. Now, church, listen. Before we get into Daniel, okay, before we look a little bit about Matthew, I need a moment to chat with you about symbolism found in this book, okay? Why symbolism? Why symbolism? Why not just write, why, why didn't John just write, hey, it's the year 2020, and I saw a military helicopter shoot missiles and destroy this nation, and I saw a bunch of people, and they walked around with, with face coverings. I'm not sure what that meant. Maybe there was, I, he doesn't do that, okay? He, he, he uses symbolism, okay? Everybody with me, okay? Why? 
Listen, first and foremost, if you're taking note, jot this down. What John saw, he could not describe like we saw today. You guys, you guys tracking with me? Okay. He just couldn't, he couldn't, he couldn't do that. Okay. Let me give you an example. Like if he saw an arrow across the the sky, he goes, look, there's an arrow, what we might know as a missile. Okay. So he didn't know that's a missile. He goes, Oh, look, I'm only going to put it. So, so all he could do, guys, all he could do is just, is just describe what he knew back in that day. Now, think about this, guys. Think about this. What would John say today about some of the things that we have? For example, iPods. Okay. What about those? What would John say? Well, they had these white things coming out of their ears. I'm not sure what was going on when they were connected to some other device. I mean, he wouldn't know what to say. What about if you didn't have wireless iPods? He would think, man, what, what's going, what, you understand what he would be seeing. Okay. And, and I mean, and then, and I mean, think of technology, how it's just advanced. What, what would, <laughs> what do you think John would say with this? He'd be like, I have no idea. He has no clue what this would be and how to describe it. Some sort of communication device. And you and I would go, what's he talking about? Well, he's talking about an iPhone. It's a computer in our hands. The second thing, the second thing, real important as well. The emperor Domitian, okay? The emperor Domitian this guy gradually applied himself to the attributes of God, and he established a form of religion which was anti-Christian. Let me give you a quote. Domitian was the first emperor to wage a proper campaign against Christ, the church, and the attack on the leadership of Christ, last apostle John. Nero had Paul and Peter destroyed, but he looked upon them as Sidious Jews. Domitian was the first emperor to understand that behind the Christian movement stood an enigmatic figure who threatened the glory of the emperors. He was the first to declare war on this figure and the first to lose the war, a foretaste of things to come. This is the, he's not, he's not just going, oh, these guys are just, they're just crazy. He's going, no, no, no. There's something about this. I need to, I need to put an end to, this is Domitian. You guys understand. I'm going to set war on the last apostle John. I need to put an end to this. Now, because the emperor Domitian attack against Christianity. Now, do we know anything about that today? Are we not under attack as Christians and Christian? We know a little bit about that. We're, we're being attacked, guys, in our religious freedoms. But think about this. Think about this. John, under the influence of the Holy Spirit, he wrote this book with signs and symbols. Why? So that Domitian couldn't understand it. He thought, John is cuckoo for cocoa petals. He's nuts. What's look? But listen, listen. Those who were familiar with the Old Testament... Guys, they knew exactly what was going on. Why? Because a lot of what happens in Exodus actually shows up in Revelation. So if you are an Old Testament advocate, you'd go, yes, 
But if you had no idea what the Bible says, you think he's cuckoo. Well, John's just an old man in the island of Pamela. He's nuts. He's nuts. Too much sun for John. <laughs> Not enough water. His brain's dying. But John, under the power of the Holy Spirit, said, no, no, no. I'm going to write in signs and symbols. Okay. Everybody got that so far? Now, let's jump into our introduction. Daniel chapter 9. Daniel chapter 9, verses 20 through 27, gives us a brief intro. Daniel, guys, is praying, and he understands what Jeremiah was, was, was talking about in chapter 25. It states that there was a time of desolations in Jerusalem to be finished, 70 years of captivity coming to an end. God said, Babylon is going to come in and take you captive. You're going to go there for 70 years. Daniel starts going, it's about time. It's almost up. And, and again, so he begins to write. He says that it's coming to an end. Look at verse 20 with me, guys, in your Bibles. Daniel 9.20 says, now, while I was speaking and praying, look at this, guys, confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel and presenting my supplications before the Lord my God for the holy mountain of my God. Let me stop right there. Let me stop right there, okay? I think, guys, when we pray, we need to confess the sins of the United States. We're all one. Daniel, Daniel didn't do anything wrong, but he says, I was confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel. Guys, that's the same thing too. When you pray and you confess, Lord, please forgive us. Forgive us, O oh Lord, of our sins. Guys, this is what he's saying. He said, yes, while I was speaking in prayer, a man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision of the beginning, being caused to fly swiftly, reached me about the time of the evening offering. And he informed me and talked with me. He said, oh, Daniel, I have now come forth to give you skill to understand. At the beginning of your supplication, the command went out. And I've come to tell you, for you are greatly beloved. Therefore, consider the matter and understand the vision. Okay, here it goes, guys. Verse 24. Here's the vision. Ready? Seventy weeks are determined for your people and your for your holy city. To finish the transgression, to make an end to sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring an everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. This is, guys, this is it. Here it is. Here's the vision. You go, what? Literally, he says, what? Check it out, guys. Seventy weeks are determined. These are seventy sevens. If you're taking note, these are seventy sets of seven. This is what he says. In 70 sets of seven, God has promised to deal with the nation of Israel for a specific period of time. Okay? 70 sets of seven years. So one week, we, we look at those as seven days. Don't look at it. Seven years. So that's what he says. 70 sevens are determined. For what? For what? What's the purpose? Well, to finish transgression, to make an end to sins, and the word is to atone for, to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring an everlasting righteousness, to seal up the vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. Who would that be, Alex? 
Jesus, yes, buddy, that's right. To anoint. This is what he's saying. Okay. Now remember, Daniel, Jesus hasn't even, he's not even meant, this is prophetic. Okay, here's the vision. 77s have been determined. Here's what's going to happen. 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 Okay? Look at verse 25. He says, Now, know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, there shall be seven weeks and 62 weeks. The street shall be built again and the wall even in troublesome times. Do you guys see that? This is so important, okay? He says, from the going forth of the command, from the going forth, this is actually found in Nehemiah chapter 2, okay? Jot this down in your notes. Nehemiah chapter 2, 1 through 8, you need to read it later, because I want you to see this, guy so important, okay? But I want to give you the first verse, the first verse says this in Nehemiah chapter 2. Let's see if it's up there. And it came to pass in the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was before him, that I took the wine and gave it to him. Now, I had never been sad in his presence before. Now, I want you to read through verse 8 later on on your own, but I want to show you something. Okay? It came to pass in the month of Nisan. Okay, if you're taking note, Nisan is March. Okay, it's the month of March. So Nisan the first, 444 BC, or we could actually interpret this as March 14th, 445 BC, because again, prophetic calendars and the Gregorian calendars are intermixing at this point. Okay, so understand that. What does he do? King Artaxerxes up here gives a decree. Remember for what? So Nehemiah could go back and rebuild the walls. Ezra is already rebuilding the temple. Okay, that's going to happen, but he needs to go back and rebuild the walls. Okay? Now, what happens? Okay, it says, Daniel, what's that? Here's the decree. In verse 25, it says, there shall be seven weeks. There shall be seven weeks. He starts out with seven sevens, which equals 49 years. You guys with me? That's how he starts off. Okay? I don't know why he just didn't say, hey, here's the math, no problem. But he, he gives us so that we can really deal with it. So the first period of seven weeks is the restoration and repairing Jerusalem, basically, are referred. This is what he's saying. The first seven weeks. So long as Ezra and Nehemiah employed in restoring the sacred constitution, the civil establishments of the Jews, note, this work, guys, lasted 49 years, and the commission was given by King Artaxerxes. So we have 49 years. This is Now we're going back, okay? Old Testament, he's building the walls, he's building the temple. How long did it take? 49 years, okay? From the command. When Nehemiah chapter 1, from the command, this is what it's at, okay? So that's already taken care of. Then Daniel says, and then we have 62 weeks. Now, this was from the second period of 62 weeks or 434 years. This what happens, guys, at the end of the prophecy. It says, Messiah the Prince should come. This is what he's saying. Okay, so you have one period one and then period two. Well, what should happen? During this time, Messiah should come. 
What is period one? Period one is 49 years, first and foremost. It was allowed to, to restore what? The temple and the walls in Jerusalem. That was the first one. The second period was 434 years, which allowed the public entrance of the Messiah, Meshach. Looking for the Messiah. You go, okay. So we have a total of 483 years. From the decree that King Artaxerxes gave, right? He says, this is it. 483 until Messiah comes forth. Now, here's where it gets good, okay? Okay, jot this down somewhere in your Bible, guys. God deals in what we call 360-day prophetic calendar. 360, okay? Now, here's where it gets exciting. If you're Jewish and you want to know when the Messiah was going to come, which, let me stop right now, it blows me away that none of the Pharisees or the Sadducees could understand that Jesus was the Messiah. They were so caught up in their religion that they missed Jesus, they could have easily understood this. They chose not to, or they were blinded. It's the same thing with people today, church. It's the same thing. You can look at them and you're, you, you go, oy vey, they're blinded by something. They can't see what I see. And you'll say, hey, man, Jesus is coming back. Oh, yeah, sure, bro. It's, we've been saying that for years, man. Yeah, yeah, you just, whatever, whatever floats your boat, Holmes, you know, whatever they tell you. But, but they, you're like, they can't see. It's, he's coming. He's coming. Guys, it's the imminent return. You go, well, Ben, I don't believe he's going to come back in this. I don't think so. I think Trump's going to win. I think Biden's going to win. Whatever you think, guys, Jesus is coming back. And if he takes 5 or 10 or 15 years, I'll tell you the only reason is because he wants to see people saved. That's what he wants. He wants to see people saved. And I wonder if he would have come back before I got saved. And so when we don't, we don't count him slack, well, he's just slacking. He's not. He's waiting for somebody to get saved. He's wanting as many people. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have ever left. He's not. He's going, come on. Come on. He's waiting for those that are walking on the fence to turn, to repent. We're going to talk about that on Sunday when Paul says, church, you need to repent. You need to turn. And so, 360-day prophetic calendar. Now, here's where it gets exciting. If you wanted to know the math, right? Who's the Messiah? Who's going to save us? All you had to do is the math, right? 360-day prophetic calendar times 69 sevens would get you 173,880 days. Okay, so you'd have 173 on 880 days from the going forth of the command, you would know exactly who the Messiah was. Okay, so from March 14th, 444 BC, you would count 173,880 days until the Messiah came in. Guess where that lands? April 6, 32 AD. What happened April 6, 32 AD? Jesus Christ himself rode into Jerusalem. Guys, 
This is so amazing. You should have said, that's the Messiah from the going forth of the command. Now, I know that there are a lot of mathematicians out there, not of their A personalities. They go, wait a minute. How did you get that many dead? That doesn't add up. Now, remember, when you do the math, make sure that you count the leap years to get the appropriate number of days. You have to add in the leap years because we're using the Gregorian calendar versus a prophetic calendar. Okay? Now, you would take 483 prophetic years times 0.9857 would give you 476 solar years. Artaxerxes' decree was in 444 BC. Add 476 years to that. Guess where you come out? 32 AD. Unbelievable. Now, we know who the Messiah is. We know who the Messiah is. This is Jesus. This, is, this validates my heart. Jesus. It makes me want to go back to Israel so bad. It makes me want to go back to walk where he walked again. Guys, we, we sat and sang on the Sea of Galilee where my Jesus walked. And he walked on water and he was on there. Anyway, I digress. Let's go back. Verse 26 in Daniel. He says, after the 62 weeks, Messiah shall be, help me guys. Joe, help me. What does that say? Cut off. Okay, you see that? Cut off. You guys see that? After 62 weeks, the Messiah shall be cut off. But not for himself, for the people and the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end of it shall be a flood till the end of the war. Desolations are determined. Why is that important? Well, look at your Bibles, guys, because the word cut off right there. Do you guys see it? After 62 weeks, Messiah shall be cut off. What does that mean? It means publicly executed. That's what that word means. That's what that phrase means. What's he saying? After 62, now we already have, we already have some. We're already at 49, right? 70. And so he says, after 62, the Messiah shall be publicly executed, but not for himself. Who, who was executed? Jesus on the cross. Because it says this, guys, and the people, and the people of the prince who is to come. Who's the prince who is to come? The Antichrist found in Revelation. Okay? So, let's read it again. It's going to make more sense. After 62 weeks, Jesus will be hung on a cross, publicly executed, but not for himself, but for who? That would be us. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city. Okay, so what Daniel is doing is seeing a vision. What's he seeing? He's not seeing something locally. He's seeing futuristic. He's going, oh, wait a minute. I saw the Messiah. This is the date of the decree. He's going, Jesus is publicly executed, but then he's fast forward into what? Into the Antichrist found in Revelation. Wow. Verse 27. Then he, the Antichrist, shall confirm a covenant with many for one week. How much is a week? Seven years. Seven years. Okay? uh, President Trump in this past few months, he actually made a, a what, what they call the Abraham Accord, the peace treaty. And a lot of people came up to me and go, is, it, was, is that, that's not the peace, that's not the peace plan. Okay? It says who? 
The Antichrist is going to confirm a covenant with many for one week. There's going to be a peace treaty that's going to come. What's going to happen? He's going to make peace with Israel. Now, it probably has to do with the Temple Mount. Nathalie, would you agree? In that area, it has to do something with peace because the Jewish people right now, the, let's call them, not the Messianic Jews, um, but the Jewish people are wanting their third temple that they've actually have a temple institute there where they have everything ready to sacrifice for sins again. You can go and you can see. You can see the table of showbread. You can see the all of that stuff, all the utensils that they need. What is missing? A temple. Well, they're not, well, they don't want to put a temple anywhere. Where do they want their temple? They want it on the Temple Mount. Guess what's on the Temple Mount? The Dome of the Rock, which wasn't really Muslim to begin. But anyway, that's a whole nother, that's a whole nother sermon. But they want, and so there has to be a peace treaty where the Muslim can have the dome and the Jewish people can have their temple. That's not happened yet, has it? But it could. Boom. 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 But what's going to happen? Guys, look at verse 27. But in the middle of the week, he shall bring an end to sacrifice and offering on the wing of the abomination, which shall be one who makes desolate, even until the consummation which is determined is poured out as desolate. Guess what? In the middle of the week, in three and a half years, the Antichrist is going to stand up. Let me give it to you in layman's turn. And he's going to say, don't offer sacrifices anymore. Don't. I'm God. And he's going to go into the temple, into the Holy of Holies, and he's going to sit down and claim that he's God. He's going to desolate the temple. And the Jewish people are going to freak. Why? Because they know. And this is what he's telling us right here. They should tell that this is what's happening. So, futuristic, we're in the, we're in the 70th week, okay? This is the last period of the seven years. Okay, so remember, it's right, it's been more than what? You go, well, Ben, it's been more than 490 years since Jesus was crucified. So, what did that, this is where the, the preterist view comes in and the, in the allegory view, because they go, well, see, it's already been 400. No, no, no. There's something, jot this down in your Bible, okay? There's something called the church age. The church age. The moment Jesus died, the clock for the church age began. We're in the church age right now. Once the church age is over, what's going to happen, the last Gentile gets saved, the Holy Spirit, boom, is now taken off of the Gentiles and focused on the Jews. The rapture takes place. We're out of here. And the prophetic last 70, last week begins with Israel. So when Jesus died, guys, the prophetic time clock stopped until that final week, till the last seven years. This is where we get the tribulation period. How much is the tribulation period? Seven years, okay? Now, let me just jot this down real quick. Am I running out of time? Okay, I've got a few, few more minutes. So the tribulation starts with the first three and a half years, and people are going to flock to the Antichrist, but he's going to be some sort of savior. The world has to get so bad 
that they will throw all caution to the wind and follow a Savior who claims to be, who is going to claim to be, right at this point, he's just going to be what? He's just going to say, listen, I'm going to provide, help me. I just want to get you to think. I'm not, I'm not, I have a cure. I have a vaccine. I have a whatever it might be. Financially want to bring you, whatever it takes, millions of people who are going to flock to him as the Savior. Now, we're gone. We're out of here. But it's our loved ones that, that, are, that, that, are, that are fighting it, our loved ones that don't know Jesus that are going to be left behind. And, and they're going to go, oh, if we just had this. There's got to be a Savior. But during the three-and-a-half-year mark, Guys, that's when he gets up. It's called the abomination of desolation. He's going to claim to be Jesus. And then this is called the great tribulation. Because the last three and a half years is going to be unbelievable awful. Unbelievably awful. So you have tribulation, but then then you have the what? The great tribulation here in Daniel. In Daniel. What's God doing? Right now, church, he's pouring out his grace upon us. He's calling us to repent, to change our ways, to turn and to follow him. He wants us to purify our lives. He wants us to forgive and to love. This is what my God wants. He doesn't want strife in his church anymore. He doesn't want division in his church. He wants us to love like he loved. Because we know that time is short. We know it's running out. And so what we need to do, guys, is we need to keep. Okay, so we know we know where that last 70 is going to come. Okay, the last 70th week. So right now, we have 69 weeks so far. A total of 69 weeks. Church age, 69 stopped. And then, rapture, and the 70th week begins. The Holy Spirit is now going to focus on Israel. Israel will be saved. But I wonder about all our Gentile family. Guys, I used to think, I used to think, is there going to be anybody left behind? I mean, you know there's a God. Look at the sunrise. Look at the sunset. Look at oxygen. I mean, my goodness, there's trees and grass. And God, you're amazing. Is there going to be anybody left behind? And now I see so many people who shake their fist at God and they don't want anything to do with him. And I know a lot of people. And so I wonder... What about those that are on the fence? What about those that are playing church? What about those? And I'm not talking about the occasional stumble. I'm not talking because we, we, we mess up, right? We, we, we still sin. God, that's why Jesus died. I'm talking about those who are in direct defiance of who God is. What about those? What about those who are, who are walking the fence, who, who go, yeah, I was brought up in Christianity, but I'm not really serving right now. I'm kind of doing my own thing. For selfish reasons, I'm just kind of walking the line. God still goes, no, 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 this is the time that you need to repent. Okay, so guys, 
keep Daniel 9.27 in mind as we go through our study, okay? Because we're going to reference it back, back and forth. So what does Matthew do? Okay, Matthew 24. Matthew 24, I just want to show you a few things. And I think it's one of the things that Nathalie, uh, we, we talk about it all the time. Matthew 24. It says, and Jesus went out. I don't have it on the screen, guys, because I didn't give it to him. But listen, and Jesus went out and departed from the temple. His disciples came up to show him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said to them, notice, do you see all of these things? As surely as I say to you, not one stone shall be left upon another that shall not be thrown down. That's verse 2. Prophetically, that happened when Titus Despasian came in and he burned Jerusalem. All the gold from the temple melted in the rocks and the people were coming and they were turning over rocks to find the gold. Jesus said, not one stone is going to be left. Okay, so the disciples go, they say, now, he sat down on the Mount of Olives and the disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us when these things will be, and what will be the sign of your coming at the end of your age. And Jesus answered, and he said to them, Take heed that no one deceives you. That's the very first thing Jesus looked at his disciples, and he says, Joe, make sure no one deceives you. He, he Jesus could have given a slew of things of, of what to... Now, listen, when you see, when you see four blood moons... And you see four stars around it, and then, and then, you know, and you're studying the cosmos, and you see this, and, and he could have, he said, what's the first thing he says? Guys, listen, the first thing you need to understand is please don't let anyone deceive you. Let me give you a really simple term, guys. Let me see. How do you spot a, hun, a, a counterfeit $100 bill? How do you spot it? The best way to spot a hundred, a counterfeit $100 bill is to study a real one over and over and over and over and over and over and over. And when that passes through, you go, no, 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 that's fake. There's something wrong with it. How do we not be deceived? We study the Word of God over and over and over and over and over. And then when somebody comes on our television and says, well, praise God, you need to do this. You go, no, 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 that's not right. That's not right. No, 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 that's, mm, mm. guys, as your pastor, I have such a hard time listening to some other folks, because I'm like, oh, he's taking that out of context, oh, that's not what that means, mm, mm. Now, the, the general, con- you know, because why? Because if we take a verse out of context, we make it a pretext, and if we make it a pretext, we could make it say anything we want to say. We've got to say in the context of the Word of God. But that's what I want you to do. I want you to see the Word of God, and I want you to stand upon the Word of God so so strong that when somebody, something, anyone comes in, look at me, I have, I'm a miracle worker, you go, no, I'm going to stick to the Word of God. Well, I just did a miracle. Did you see? I just raised this guy from the dead. Yeah, but do you follow Jesus? No, I don't follow Jesus. I am Jesus, but I just raised this. No. Because every prophet, every pastor, every... Christian will point to God. He'll point to Jesus as the Messiah. And so, what do we do? He says, don't be deceived. Guys, is there ways we're being deceived? Is there ways? Yeah, they they want to deceive us. Okay? Revelation 13 talks about a mark. Okay? The mark of the beast. And in the mark of the beast, they're not going to have a choice. You won't have a choice. 
You won't be given an option. It'll be mandatory. Oh, there's a word we haven't heard lately. Mandatory. This is mandatory. You got to have it. Because if you don't have it, you won't be able to buy or sell. Wait a minute. That's never going to happen in the United States of America. Are you kidding me? That'll never fly. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Don't be deceived. Because slowly, see, see, Satan doesn't come in and just, he says, okay, slowly. Let's start conditioning you. Well, let's, I, I've got plenty of time. Let's start conditioning you since the 60s, the condition. Hey, i got a great idea. Let's get a box where I can bring in my agenda, and I can put it right there. And then you guys can just, and so there we go. And there we go. And, 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 and if you guys are thinkers, you guys are going, man, even with the election today, you're thinking, you're going, oh, my goodness. And here's your biggest, here's your biggest thing. Who can I trust? There's not, there's nobody I can trust. I don't even know what's true. But we can s- trust the word of God. Well, later on, what does Jesus say? Jesus says, okay, um, there's going to be wars and rumors of wars. There's going to be earthquakes and famines and pestilence. You know what a pestilence is? Kind of like a, it's kind of like the virus, kind of like, yeah, it's kind of like the virus that COVID. It's kind of like Corona. It's different forms of. There's going to be pestilence, but but is there pestilence? Eve, is there pestilence in the in the United? No, it's pestilence in the world. In the world. But you guys got homework. I want you to read this. I want you to read Matthew 24. We'll talk about it next week. Now, as we close, as we close. We need to take a brief, real quick, very quick, guys, a, a brief look at and understand the difference between the rapture, everybody understand that, and the second coming of Jesus. A lot of people, they, they try to intertwine those terms, and they're not. Now, I understand that most people say, hey, the word rapture isn't found in the Bible, but there is a Greek, Latin, English equivalent. Okay, you understand that, right? He uses the word caught up. He actually uses it in a couple of places. One is in Corinthians, right? Or actually in, in, in Acts chapter 14, where he was caught up to the third heaven. It's the Greek word harpazo, H-A-R-P-A-Z-O, harpazo. And it means to what? To be snatched up quickly. In First Thessalonians, this is the one that we talk about all the time, guys. First Thessalonians, then we who are alive and remain shall be harpazo in the air to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Why do we say harpazo? Because, because we get that in the Latin and then in the English, it's rapture, but the Latin is rapturus. And I mean, it's just amazing. I'm sorry, Latin is rapturus, Greek is, and so forth. Now, 1 Thessalonians talks about the rapture. You guys understand that? Boom. 2 Thessalonians, guys, talks about the second coming. The second coming is when, guys, Jesus comes back again with his church after the seven years are done. You guys with me? He's going to rule and reign here on earth for a thousand years. This is known as the millennial reign. Okay? Let me give you a brief scenario. So we're hanging out at church. We're having a good time. We're worshiping. We hear the trumpet sound. Boom. We're out of here. We go for seven years. It's called the marriage supper of the Lamb. We have a great time in heaven. All hell is breaking loose on earth. And then 
when it's all said and done, after the seven years, guess what? We come back with Jesus to rule and reign for a thousand years. Now, there are some people who are going to miss the rapture, but make it through the tribulation. You understand? And so you've got human, you've got us with glorified bodies reigning with Christ, and you've got humans here. Because we're going to rule and reign for a thousand years. So now you've got a population of people with the forced righteousness of the Lord reigning and ruling from Jerusalem and us helping him, but you also got humans populating the earth. That's why in Ezekiel 38 it says that they were what? They were burning. The weapons could be for seven years. They were burning because they didn't need any fuel. But it's still a very operable, is that the right word? World. Even though we're supernaturally reeling and reigning with Christ. What does that look like? I have no idea. It blows my mind. But I do know this. At the end of Revelation, the Bible says that Satan is loosed from the bottomless pit and he deceives the nation once again. He dece- Who is he going to deceive if you and I are already working for Jesus? Oh, there's got to be a group of, hey, huh. Huh. That's the second coming. I want to leave you with one verse, guys, before we pray. Matthew 24 and 44 says this. Therefore, you also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Hey, can I ask you one question? Are you saved? Are you saved? Have you given your life to Jesus once and for all? Because he's coming back, and I want to make sure you're ready. I want to make sure you're ready. Father, we thank you tonight for intro. We thank you for your word and the truth in your word. We thank you for your love for us, and we thank you that you've given us this so we can walk closer to you. Lord, purify our hearts, God, and make us more like you. Father, my prayer is that if there's anyone here that doesn't know you, anyone watching online that is not right with you, that they would pray a prayer right now, that they would confess their sins to you and say, God, I'm yours. I want to be saved. I want to be saved. I want to be saved. Come into my heart. Forgive me of my sins. And, 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 and Lord, please. Hey, if you're watching online and you did give your life to Jesus, I want to know about it, man. I want to walk with you. I want to pray for you. I want to rejoice with you. If you're listening podcast, man, give us a call. Call the church, 806-799-2227. Just say, man, I got saved. I got saved. Thank you, Lord. We look forward for what you're going to do next week. We love you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Hey, this is Pastor Josh. I hope this message has encouraged you in your walk with Jesus. If it has, we would love to hear your story of how it has impacted you, or especially if you responded to the invitation to receive Jesus into your heart as your Lord and Savior. To get in touch or to receive more information, please contact us by phone at 806-799-2227 or send an email to calvarylubbock at hotmail.com. Again, that phone number is 806-799-2227. 
Also, if you want to partner with us financially to take the gospel to West Texas and the world, please click on the donate button on calvarychapellubbock.org. Thanks for listening to the podcast. May God richly bless you.